Hi, everyone. Welcome to Event Pros. On today's show, we are going to be discussing some of the newest trends in event planning, the role of the event strategist. It's going to be a really insightful topic and one that brings to light a whole new approach to corporate meeting and event planning. Our featured guest on the show today is Julie Burns. Julie's career in event planning has taken her from her beginning days as a venue event coordinator to leading the world's largest environmental experience. So, note to self, when you hear the phrase, world's largest anything, it's worth paying attention to. She has some great insights to pass along to you, so get ready. It's going to be a great show. So with that, let's go. You're listening to Event Pros, the event professionals roundtable featuring conversations with leaders and influencers who are shaping event culture and current trends in the industry. From Dunlop Productions, your hosts and show producers, Dan Dunlop and Julie Burns. My guest today is coming to us by way of phone from Dallas, Texas. And if you were to see her live in the studio, you would notice that she is all of 5'2". Her husband, incidentally, is 6'5". But don't let her size fool you. She stands as tall as anyone I know when it comes to leadership, experience, and, and insight into corporate meeting and event planning culture. For me, she personifies the definition of event strategist, and you'll be hearing more about that later in our Trends in the 20 segment. But for now, let's get to know the person behind the legend. Julie Burns, welcome to the show. Thank you. What a welcome. Hey, I love it. Hey, you know, I never get to do any introductions for you. This was fun, you know? like, uh, <laughs> right. um, And we're actually here talking about events and not an event. And that's right, quite rare, right? Right. Yeah. We're talking about the multitude of events yeah, in the industry. I know. So it's this is kind of, a, kind of a nice treat for me just to kind of sit with you and talk events in general here. So this is, this is good. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yep. Well, let me just dive in here. So you've had a really inter- interesting career path from working as an event coordinator for an outdoor theater company to a very successful MLM company. And then most recently with a large nonprofit organization, you've seen and done a lot already. But kind of let's, let's take it back from the beginning a little bit to the beginning days as an event coordinator. Share with us a little bit about that scope of work and, and what you were involved with. Yeah, so I... Um you know, I, I knew I wanted to be in events right out the gate. I was in college and I was planning conferences. And I remember having to tell my professors why I kept leaving class because I was negotiating writers for (laughs) bands and talent for events. And then, um, you know, I landed a job right out of college for an outdoor theater company. They did touring Broadway shows, concerts, and then they did events in the off season when it was not the good weather for the shows. And gosh, I was on site for over 250 events a year. So, you know, the phrase, you have to put in 10,000 hours to be an expert at something. I think those four years were really an amazing culmination of just putting in the time. If, If it could go wrong, it did go wrong. If there was troubleshooting, you had to do it under pressure. And I think that it was just such an amazing experience to just dive in deep and to have to just do the work. And it was a small but mighty team. And it was really amazing to set the stage for 
how to build relationships, how to troubleshoot under pressure, and then also just how to do the work that later in life you're going to ask other people to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's actually a really in- interesting perspective, having worked on the venue side. You know, I don't know that all of us would have that, but, you know, really, I wonder if there are any key learnings from that experience that help you to become a more informed client. Definitely. I think because of my experience on the venue side, I do have a more strategic view of the event as a whole because I've had to navigate those other roles and the challenges that arise from those. So I'm able to anticipate some of that a little bit as a client. And I think that that is really helpful when you're trying to connect teams and get them to put on the best event possible. And then ultimately, even at the beginning part of an event where you're doing the RFP, I've been on both sides. I've done the proposals and I've given an RFP. So, you know, it's it's really nice insight to have to be able to provide clarity to the part my partners when I'm asking them to produce an event with me. But it's also really nice on the proposal side because I understand what clients are looking for as well. Oh my gosh. We could do a whole show on RFPs alone and maybe we will. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I've run into some pretty badly written RFPs. So uh, that clarity. They take a lot of time. They do. On both sides. Yeah. Right. Uh, and people put a lot of time in them. And when they're not clear, there is there is just, there's confusion and there's a lot of and guessing. they Right. And they're imperative to establish the right partners for you. And if you're not clear from the beginning, then it's just painful all the way through. Yeah. All right. We're going to put a pin on that one because I do want to come back to RFPs at some point in the future. So <laughs> we may come back on this one. So, all right. So from that, uh, from that world, then you, from the venue side, you moved into a large MLM company as a, a strategic member of the events team. And um, by the way, if that acronym for the, our listeners glossed by you, MLM is abbreviated for multi-level marketing. Uh, so Julie, you were part of a team that led by an amazing person by the name of Kate Gimbelow. And Kate, if you're listening today, thank you for your influence in Julie's life and my life and for introducing us together along the way. It kind of feels like you should be part of this conversation today, but Kate, get ready. I am coming for you soon. So our listeners are going to love you. But uh, Julie, give us a sense for that scope of work from the MLM perspective and some key learnings from that world. That was a huge step for me because it moved me into the content side of events that I hadn't previously been in. And I think it really let me hone in on my strategic thinking because I had really focused on logistical to-do lists, if you will. And I moved into just such a greater role by not just working with the amazing creative director, Kate Gimela, who you mentioned, who was a a wonderful mentor and boss to me, but a team that is so well organized. I've never met any other event teams like them. They just were on point to a degree that you can't even describe. And then I also inherited managing the video team. And so that was that was a whole new chapter for me in my career and such a learning experience as well. Yeah. Well, and, and what made, what makes that role different, you know, in that environment, like planning events in that setting for an MLM? I mean, that's a, it's a different animal in a way. For sure. Yes. And, you know, MLM industry really, I think when those companies do events, it's, they're just so important because sometimes they're the only in-person connection you have with your audience 
And that is a huge undertaking to make sure that you hit all of your KPIs and your ROIs, but also you inspire and you, you know, drive behavior change that you really want to see continue through the next year until the next touch point. And that is just a lot of weight for those events compared to other industries, I think. And then, you know, those people come to the event primarily having worked on their own and in their own space. And so it's just such a huge opportunity for them and for you to be a part of something that is just so exciting and something people crave. There's just nothing really like it. It's very, very fun to do events in the MLM industry. It really is. I, it's nothing like it. There's just a, there's a aspiration, inspiration level that you don't find anywhere else. But I love that. But you know, there has to be some obstacles or opportunities that you faced along the way in that environment because there was so much pressure there. Anything come to mind? Yes. Uh, I I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is I I took over a video department right out the gate. And so I was managing people who had skills that I don't have. And that was a huge learning experience because, you know, I was having to learn what they did to an extent to really empathize with what they were going through and help them grow as individuals, but also make sure that we had continuity with our videos and our events at the same time. And we did over 200 videos a year in three different versions, US, UK, and Canada. And so it just was a lot of work to take on. And for me at the time, that was, I was available to do that work. And I was really excited about that opportunity. But both video and events taught me how to work with different stakeholders. And I think that was a really valuable lesson because every stakeholder from every department in the company had to provide some kind of information at the event or on a video, and they all had different objectives. I mean, you talk to product development, who do they describe as their modern woman that they're providing products to? And then you talk to sales and who is their modern woman? So continuity is really key. And that was something that was a huge, amazing lesson for me early on is to be able to work well and build those relationships to get to the core of what people are trying to achieve for these events. Mm. Well, that's really insightful. Um, managing different stakeholders' uh, objectives, but having, need, <laughs> in the end, having to have the continuity is speaking as one. Okay. Right. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. Nailed it. Got it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure that experience probably prepared you for your next role. Anything, you know, uh, from a, from a 30,000 foot that just really helped you to, to prepare you for that next phase of your career? Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, my boss was amazing. And, um, and so was the team and the leadership at that company. It really was a dream job at the time. And it taught me a lot about how I wanted to be a leader and how I wanted to treat people when I was leading teams or when I had staff or when I was working with others. And I think that's really important because relationships in this industry, most like all industries are really, really key, especially when you're at a really stressful point. You know, sometimes relationships kind of get overlooked. And I think it's really important to treat people well along the way. And, you know, the other thing is that the team was just so good at the details. And so taking my ability to really dive in and really learn from the best that every detail matters was 
was just really important. And I would say the most, probably the best part of that entire experience was that I really, really had a lot of fun. And I think that the event process can be so stressful that sometimes we as the planners and the staff kind of forget the fun part for us too. And you shouldn't do it if you don't enjoy it. And we really, really enjoyed it. Even when it was hard, we really enjoyed it. Yeah. I'd have to say you did. I had the privilege of doing several of your shows along the way. And um, one of the things I always really appreciate about uh, your your particular team, um, yes, you cover the details, but you took the details to the next level. And that's not a cliche. You truly looked at something and said, but how do we... How do we do that better or how do we do that different? And uh, things were covered, but it's what you did with those details that really was a differentiator for your team. And uh, I really, Mm -hmm. I learned actually, I really learned a lot from that. It's like, just because it's a cool idea, keep going with it. What else can you do with it? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, and you guys really And is it relevant? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, all that prepared you for your role as VP of production for a large nonprofit that produces the world's largest environmental experience event. And I don't say that lightly because that's a very big responsibility. So um, give our listeners a sense of scope of that work um, and then uh, kind of insight, some insights you had from your experience. It is such a cool event. And I don't say that lightly. It's a very fun event. It is a an event for over 130,000 people. And it pulls together people in the entire environmental space through a variety of channels. There is a 10-day 60-film film festival that happens as a part of the event. There are eight simultaneous conferences. This, these were the numbers when I was there. There were 14 banquets that happened simultaneously throughout the week. There was an annual fundraiser for over 600 people. And the culmination of all of it was a weekend expo with over 850 exhibitors to top out the 130,000 plus guests. It's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I don't know how you slept, but secondly, um, <laughs> maybe not much. But how did you? What was your? What did you feel your primary role was, other than you know bringing the event off? But what? How did you? How did you parcel it out enough to be able to manage it in order to lead it? Well, I was I was really fortunate to be able to be a contractor the the prior year to becoming the VP of production. So I I was called um, by a colleague a few weeks out. I don't say that lightly. A few weeks out of the event to help execute twelve banquets. So we're ten days out, and there had been no work done on these banquets, and so. That was an undertaking in and of itself. But when I stepped on site, I realized there had there was no master schedule. There was no one piece, one document of information where everything lived. And so in addition to executing those banquets in the course of a couple of weeks, I also created a master schedule that really gave the 30,000 foot view of the whole event. That gave me a lot of insight because I had to find the information from the team very quickly. And so going into the next year, I had a really good big picture of what the pieces were and and really knew that the primary role for me, if 
if this was a huge undertaking, my primary role was to help create a system that could live year over year so that the staff could rinse and repeat, if you will, some of the pieces of the event that they had not done in the past and that had caused pain points. And then to help set them up with partners and vendors who knew how to do their job so well that it actually took some of the work off of this 25-person staff who were executing this large event. So that's really what I went into it thinking, if I don't do anything, this is what I need to focus on. Yeah, yeah. Well, full, full disclosure, we got to partner with you on that with your as your production partner. And I remember that was one of my objectives when you talked about that 25-member team. Many of those were sales um, leads. And prior to that, they couldn't, deal with their own accounts because they were, you know, they're lifting trash cans and they're doing, you know, the work of the actual show. And our, our objective was let's release them to do their work and we'll take care of production because there were so many moving pieces. I, um, it, it was amazing to see it all come together, but, um, I agree. Yeah. 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 And, and they felt more fulfilled for being able to connect with the people they needed to on site. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's probably a whole show on just that event alone because there's there's so many things, but you know, but for simultaneously so many things happening at the same time, well, hence simultaneous, but that that kind of activity across the spectrum and so many different audiences. We had, you know, those who would come in just for the conference. We had then we had the general, you know, attendee who just came to uh, walk through the exhibit halls, and then you had you know the film festival folks and. And the fundraisers were off-site. I mean, it was just, it's a massive audience and so many different perspectives. So um, the fact that you understood those objectives, that to me sounds like a, that was the, the beginning point. You had to understand who your audience was for that event and track that event for that particular audience. Oh, for sure. And, and really layer in the messaging so that, you know, one of the things that makes that event so unique is that if somebody came just to be at a conference, we really wanted them to experience the expo and we really wanted them to see the bigger picture while they were there and not silo themselves to one experience that they were planning. And so we did a lot of interesting and innovative things that you were worked with us on, such as providing VIP tours to conference attendees so they could just get just the surface of what we were doing as a whole and, and really having people in business suits walking around with kids who were coming from schools on school trips to speakers who are nationally and internationally known to local companies and nonprofit organizations. I mean, it just, that kind of um, connection just doesn't happen in a lot of other places. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it really was. Well, I got to see you at work and uh, you were, quite masterful at it um you know and well, actually you. i kind of watching you know your career path you know i, I wasn't there for the for the beginning part but at least through the mlm days i re- remember that and it's like you were ready for this and uh, you really stepped up so i was really really proud of you but uh same time i wouldn't have wanted your job <laughs> well and yeah. you remember yeah. i was seven months pregnant oh yeah of course let's, let's add that to the mix <laughs> so, right. on top of that yeah, I, I, know. Was, I was um you yeah. know having yeah. Uh, adding, you know, more to my personal life at the same time. It was quite a quite a journey oh. that year. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's throw that into the mix. I know. So, well, I feel like we're kind of going backstage with you a bit. It's kind of exciting to kind of just hear what, what was behind that. Um, I'm wondering, you know, as you look back, you know, are there, you know, maybe in the, in the span of that career, you know, all, the, all those 
different paths you've taken. Are there, you know, a couple of principles that kind of cross over all of that that have been kind of that now speak differently to you having having those results and those experiences? You know, what what are you left with in in some some learning curve of all of that? Yeah, I mean, I I think you kind of look back and realize that there's some some key things that you hold on to as your value system along the way. And, you know, one thing that I remember telling my team um, at the big event that was my last one that I did is that you plan so that you're able to be adaptable and flexible on site. And I think a lot of times we spend so much energy planning and putting the details together that we stay a little rigid with those details and we don't allow ourselves to adapt to people and the experience that needs to happen on site. The planning is to allow you to be adaptable, not the other way around. And I think that's really been key for me um, in my career. And in addition to that, I think, you know, I would say that I mentioned earlier, relationships are so key. I mean, the people that you do events with become your family because it's just such intensive work. And I've worked with a lot of people who get so stressed out or anxious that, you know, common courtesy kind of goes out the window. And that's just, you know, unacceptable. You are leaning on these people. You are working with these people. They are humans. They have their own stressors. They have their own objectives. And I think treating them with respect is only going to help your event be more successful because honestly, we're more likely to be helpful to people who are nice to us. Yeah. <laughs> That's just a general rule. <laughs> so <laughs> I, think that I, I think that that has served me well. And that is something that's really important to me. And then, you know, at the end of the day, I look back and I think when I'm looking to at my future and what I want to do, events have always been fun. And, and they've been stressful and they've been hard and they've been challenging and all those things. But gosh, they're fun. And it's like giving somebody a present and you're so excited because you know they're going to love it. That's what an event is for me. It's like a gift that somebody gets to unwrap and experience fully. And when you do your job well, you get to be a part of that joy. And I mean, what is greater than that? That's just really fun. And I think that that leads me into thinking about each phase as I evolve in my career, what really is going to be impactful, but what's going to be a lot of fun and worthy of my time. Yeah. All right. Oh, you said it well. Well, speaking of that, you're now in the, uh, you're an independent contractor in the event space. So what is on your horizon or do you know? (laughs) I, a little bit of, I don't know, and a little bit of um, groundwork for, putting together some trainings and education for event planners, ways to support people who are doing the events and really doing that great work. But also it's an industry that doesn't have a ton of traditional training or a ton of online training. And if there's any way that my experience can contribute to helping somebody's life be easier and, and again, more fun and help them manage their relationships in a way that, last like yours and I has lasted over 10 plus years. Yeah, that's what I think that's what I'm I'm working on. Good. Good. I wish you well on that and and I know we'll be a part of that somehow and so um and I'm I'm going to give our listeners a way to uh, reach out to you at the end of this uh, podcast just to kind of connect with you because I'm I'm sure we're just tapping the surface of what some questions might be but 
you know, really, this discussion is a perfect segue into the second segment of our show, where we are focusing on trends in the 20s. So uh, for those who may have listened on last time, we discussed how to amp up the event experience. And we provided some really, uh, really great examples of how to increase the experience element for each attendee. If you missed that, go back to episode one for a more in-depth conversation of that topic if you want to know more. But today, and by design, Julie's here, the next trend that we want to discuss further is the evolution of the role of the traditional meeting planner to the event strategist. So let me begin by saying this, that given today's demand for measuring ROI and becoming more data-driven and the need to motivate for change, we can no longer rely on the role of executing on logistics well as the only barometer of success. You know, again, this isn't downplay the importance of details coming together. You just heard that from Julie. But in fact, if you don't have those details sufficiently, then that's a whole nother conversation. Um, and, but our focus on this show is really the event professionals. You know, We're going to assume you do logistics well or else you wouldn't probably be listening right now. But that's a given. But there is an expectation as a professional in the field to align with the deliverable of event strategist. Um, and when you and I would also say when you are functioning in that role, um, you have moved into a new realm of significance to your organization. Julie, you agree, disagree? Absolutely. I think that you know events are a large piece of somebody's marketing budget, as was talked about on your previous podcast, and that puts the planner in a very important role to make sure that you're not just hitting the event objectives, but that you're really in alignment with what the company needs to grow and to be successful. And so strategy is so important because you're talking about continuity across the board. And, you know, the other thing is that we're in a really connected world. People can see productions with unlimited budgets online at any time. And whether they intentionally or unconsciously do it, they walk into events with a much higher expectation. So you have to dive deeper than just that shiny detail, that entertainment factor. You've got to really hit people at their why. And there's only strategy behind that. There's only a way to fully connect with your audience deeper than just those details that they see when they walk in the door. Wow. That's exactly right. It's a strategy that uh, has to be part of it um, in, mm -hmm. in, in a greater way because of that expectation. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, truth be known, the two of us got together earlier this week and we kind of came up with, uh, for, this, for, for this point in time, four markers that indicate that you are functioning uh, as an event strategist. So we're, we're going to share those together. So, Julie, how about you take the first one? Okay. Um, the first one we talked about was that an event strategist understands and owns the objectives of a meeting. And that, that really is so true. You know, we all know this. People are busy. We're busy. And it is not just an investment on the company to produce the event, but it is an investment for the attendees to give up their time and be committed to fully engaging with your event. And so you have to earn that. And you have to do more than just Give them required information. Give them the education that they need to tick the box. You're really talking about what they need as a whole human and the strategy behind how your company serves that audience as a whole. And that's really, really important. Awesome. Awesome. 
We also talked about another marker would be that event strategists possess an attitude for respectful disruption. So let me let me unpack that a little bit. First of all, I, I use that word possess very uh, very clearly because when you are in the event space, and, and if, listeners, you know, you have to have such a passion and a belief for what you do, uh, especially when you're leading others, often you know, on chartered waters, your, your passion has got to be so contagious and compelling and convincing that others will follow that. So there's a, there's a certain, it, it takes over you. So you've got to have that. But the second part, um, you know, we hear this a lot, but respectful disruption, I don't know what that summons in your mind, but for me, um, it means respecting the present with an eye on change. You know, I've watched many, and I'm going to put air quotes here, leaders who have who were concer- more concerned about making their mark and establishing their, their leadership in, in an organization. But in the process, they abandoned and they disrespected the history and the DNA of, of an organization. You know, I really think the mark of a true leader is being a good student of the culture, of the organization, uh, and then and then being bold and innovative and making new plans and disrupting what maybe has been done but you do it uh, in context, without without disregard. And there's a difference there. Some just some just have to leave their mark, and that to me is uh, irresponsible, if not immature. But I think the, the the right leader knows that culture well enough that they can they can make those statements and make those new plans innovatively with change, uh, with great disruption. Be bold, be innovative, uh, but they do so with context and. Um, I've seen it so many times, and one of, it's actually one of the most common things I see sometimes with leaders who are just trying to make their mark. So maybe I just need to get off my soapbox and just calm, calm myself down, but uh, I've seen it. Have you, You've seen respectful disruption probably both ways, yes. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yes, and I, I recently heard a, a quote that said, balance honoring the present while leaping into the future. Mm. And I think that that's really exactly what you've just said. I think you can't just go after the next shiny thing just because it's the shiny thing. You still have to stay grounded in your audience and what they really truly care about. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Take us to the next one. I like this. Okay. Yeah. It's fun, right? Mm -hmm. Event strategists are innovators. And, and I think that, you know, it, it really starts with being intuitive because I think you really have to understand your avatar, if you will, your audience members, the personalities, what they care about, what they're coming into the event with. I think once you really, truly understand them, then you get excited about innovating for them. You have this gut instinct about what is going to be exciting for them and what is going to be exciting for you to showcase to them. And, you know, I think that you really start from a place of curiosity. And when you're curious about something, you can't really fake that intuitive, just wanting to know more. And when you start doing that in all aspects of your life, but specifically in your industry, then you start getting more creative about how you make your events level up year after year after year. You just get more innovative because you see things and are curious about things that you want to see if you can tap into those and really give your audience that great experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've described it this way. You know, I, I have an innovative spirit about me, but but some have asked, how do you keep going with that? And I, I've often used the, the, the metaphor 
you know, I wish I, I wish I had the, the, um, the mind of an architect that could see this massive skyscraper in her mind and then sits down and begins to sketch it out, basically just what, pulling what's in the head onto the paper. And I've always been amazed at that skill. But I guess in the same way, I can do that with an event. Um, mm-hmm. because I've immersed myself so much in that event. The innovation comes by immersion, <laughs> um, if you will. And so, you know, I, I will, towards that last part of that planning process, um, I, I can see things in such 3D detail that I can make notes uh, in my mind um, as I'm walking the space because I've immersed myself. And so with that, then comes the innovation factor. So it's not just doing things, but it's innovating along the way. Well, hey, why, what are we doing with this wall over here? Why, why don't, why aren't I map projecting right there um, that on that art piece? I mean, I'm looking at things constantly, to saying what can we do to to bring messaging more forward? Um, how can we um, help that theme come to life? How can we engage people, you know, uniquely differently? And so I think that innovation comes with just immersion. So I guess my um, my part to add on that is just you, you can't you can't just audit that course <laughs> you got to jump in 100 percent and at times be ready to lose some sleep be ready to have a notepad by your by your uh bed and constantly assess and synthesize information making sure that you know your whys are connected to what you're doing um and when you do that you'll you'll instinctively become more innovative just by immersing yourself uh into that process so I, I agree. And I think that if you can ask, if you can start a sentence with how cool would it be, if you can do that as much as possible in the process, then you're really, truly innovating because you're thinking differently. You're trying to change something in a really great way because how cool would it be if your attendees thought this was the best event you'd ever done? Right. That's good. That's a good, yeah. Make a note. <laughs> Uh, the, the fourth marker we talked about was that event strategists are data-driven. Um, you know, true strategists measure not only the tangible ROI, but they're always looking for ways to understand what happened and, and what was the pulse speed and what was connected and what didn't work, what did work. You know, think of it this way. When you pull away in your car from uh, your house, you look at your house from this rearview mirror. Um, and a lot of times that's, what, that's the size that people will do to assess what just happened at that event. Uh, I'm suggesting that you use the full front shield for that review and make just do the deep dive into what worked, what didn't, and uh, get various perspectives so that that data becomes, um, it really drives you in, in the next year and you will grow from that. You know, um, you don't want to just all, oh, hey, it was awesome or um, I didn't like the food. Find out, you know, what was it? You know, go deep on all that and, and you'll, that data will then begin to drive how you um, even plan the next year. You know, Julie, I, you and I, speaking of data, we were on the cusp of looking at a new technology that took um, the step to track where people were at any given time during the event. It was a new technology, mm-hmm. um, and it, it was not invasive. It wasn't taking people's you know uh, personal information or their cell numbers, but it was tracking, if you will, a beacon that was emitting from their cell phone. Okay, well, imagine this, that when we uh, were about to do this, we could in real time, we could determine um, when people stepped onto the footprint um, and we could tell where they went, how long they stayed there, when they left. And in the real time analysis, 
we could say uh, we may need to deploy more volunteers in that area or we know we're going to need more resources because there was uh, there were crowds coming we could tell um, if they were in one of our um, you know one of our uh, breakout workshops there in the exhibit hall how long they stayed and you know were these sessions too long were they right you know all that kind of thing and then in the post um, the post analysis all that data then fed into programming for next year's agenda so there's just so much that can be done. And I would say, listener, if you're in the festival space or in a large convention center where you just really can't understand everything that's going on, you know, consider some new technologies that will help you in, in this data-driven analysis so it will help you to um, even be more aware of what really, really happened. You know, everyone likes to give their opinion, and uh, but it's a bit subjective. But that, that data does tend to drive um, a very uh, important um, – point that actually rolls into programming. So, um, you know, to me, um, Allison said it really, really well last week when she said her, her leadership team, they, they generally know the direction of next year's events when they take a note of what bubbled up this year. And I thought that was so insightful. And when we learn from what happens, um, it drives us to be more uh, in tune for the next year. So, um, yeah, exactly. And, and even tactically, it allows you to um, plan for flow, just general flow of whether you change venues every year and you are watching your attendees congregate in different areas and what you need out of a venue. I mean, Allison last week on your podcast mentioned that her attendees love being outside and that being outside is a really important part of their event. And so seeing that data and how people move and function within your event space is important for planning the tactical experience and details that that you have to to address as well as the messaging and content. You know, you and I didn't discuss this, but I, I want to just, this might be controversial, but I feel like rinse and repeat is not a bad thing, but it's what you do with rinse and repeat. There is a, there is a, um, a sense of comfortability that comes when people know what to expect, but maybe there's twists and turns along the way. You don't have to necessarily turn out throw out your formula for success every year so right rinse and repeat you you were working on that yeah, even with your with absolutely. your yeah so yeah yeah i mean save the mental space on the things that really need to take your attention and your focus don't spend the energy in recreating the wheel if it doesn't need to the foundation can be set and then you can adjust from there yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah right all right. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that that's um, become our tradition on this show. Um, you've spent a career putting people on stage, so now I'm putting you on stage. So you're there on the wings. Uh, what's your walk-on song? My walk-on song would be "Man, I Feel Like a Woman" oh, nice. by Shania Twain. <laughs> and you know, I think there's nothing better than a throwback that makes you smile. And it gives you the confidence to just be exactly who you are. And that, for me, is is what that song represents, for wow. sure. I I totally agree. And I can see you doing it. So, good job. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Well, listen, I'm, I'm looking at the clock and it's like, oh, gosh, we could keep going. But um, to our listeners, I really hope today's, been, uh, today's information has been uh, helpful to you. You know, really, our goal in this roundtable forum is, to, is really to support you and your work by connecting you with some true influencers and leaders in the industry and 
because we all believe in the power of meeting the great events. And, and I've spent a lifetime of planning gatherings, and it's still an evolving science and mystery, and I love it because of all that. And uh, so I want to thank you, Julie, for just you know, taking time out and just being reflective on um, you know, your career thus far because, man, it's still rolling. Uh, it's just uh, it's going to be having some new, some new chapters here, and I can't wait to see what's going to be written with you. So um, I'm, really, I'm really proud of you. And I'm really, I'm just grateful that um, I've had a chance to work with you along the way. And uh, it's been really exciting for me. But so thank you for that. And um, thank you for having me. This a, was so fun. That is good. <laughs> I know. I, we, we will. Absolutely. But um, I also want to say a special thanks to our sound engineer, Leonard Walston, for connecting Julie and I so masterfully between our two locations today. This was a bit of an experiment here. Um, but uh, thank you for doing that. And the, so really, this podcast is available on iTunes and on our Facebook page, Dunlop Productions, and on our, our Instagram at Dunlop Events. And uh, if you let us know your thoughts, and if you have a question for Julie, you can let us know, and she will answer you online. So be ready for some uh, Q&A online, Julie. That'd be fun. Yes, um, I and, love it. Yeah. And uh, I, I really want to say thank you for listening. And the fact that, you know, listener, that you're probably still here at this moment, I, I know that this is an indication that that you share a similar passion for doing great events and in a world-class way. And as a producer and the work that we do at Dunlop Productions in every event, we know that both edge and excellence can never be compromised. And I hope the same for you and all that you're doing. So from all of us here at Event Pros, thank you for listening. And as we say from the control desk at the end of every good show, that's a wrap. Yeah.